Hello, babies. How's it going? I am doing quite all right. The last few weeks have been a little rough in the rest of my professional life, but you know what? We're just going to keep it moving. We're going to keep pushing. I had to tell myself that a path was being cleared for something greater. And you know what? I actually believe that. I also got some new hoodoo candles from a very trusted source, which I am not revealing. So if anyone out there suddenly, you know, realizes that they have fallen in love with me or they feel compelled to send me a shit ton of money, don't ask any questions about it. Don't worry about it. Just go with that feeling. You love Nicole. You love Nicole. You want her to be rich. You want to pamper her. You want to spoil her. You love her. (laughs) I talked about the removal of something in order to clear a path, right? And I recently started therapy again, and I have been going to an acupuncturist for my digestive issues. It feels like there are just blocks in my mind and in my guts, and it's just not a good feeling. It's very unpleasant. You know, my mind has been protecting me and my heart for a really long time, and I think it's doing its job too well at this point. And I've had these digestive issues for the past 20 years because of some previous surgeries. And I guess there's just, you know, those things are just kind of adding up with age and time and whatever. So it's just... It's just making me feel kind of yucky all throughout my body. And I just, I wanted to get those things checked out. I wanted to get the help that I needed so everything could flow freely, so that the love could flow freely, and so that the poop can flow freely. (laughs) One of the things that my mind does to protect me is it refuses to allow me to cry from the actual thing that's causing me pain and discomfort. So I have to redirect myself, right? So I won't cry about the lack of clarity in my professional life right now. So what I'll do is I'll listen to my sad white boys playlist and I'll let a tear go because the ache in Chet Baker's voice as he sings My Funny Valentine just takes me under. And my guest today does something similar. Ashley C. Ford is a New York Times best-selling author, a Kenny Loggins superfan, an incredible human being, and she loves watching sad movies. Ashley is one of my favorite people in the entire world, and I'm so glad I got to talk to her about the catharsis that happens when you make yourself sad on purpose. Listen, I have been going through it a little bit professionally, okay? I had this amazing opportunity, but it did not last as long as I'd hoped it would, and it left me and my colleagues out on a limb. But I am continuing to forge my own path, which includes This Is Good For You. This show is 100% mine. I own the IP. And to support making all of this happen, I would love it if you could join the This Is Good For You's Patreon. This is what makes the show sustainable for us to do. Not only are you supporting me and my independent creative work, but I am also making bonus content for you. 
That's monthly playlists, custom drabbles where you can hear yourself getting into those really sweet, close scenarios with all the celeb hotties of your choice and sharing your name on the show every single episode in the credits, plus more. Please check out patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. That's patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. And join. Support my work. Keep the show on air. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ashley C. Ford. I'm a writer and podcaster, and I have a husband and a dog, and I'm best known for strange things like really loving Kenny Loggins and horror movies and um, hating Oreos. I did not know that you hated Oreos. I do. Wow. I No judgment. I've got some food quirks of my own, so I will let you stand in your Oreo hatred. Um, I love that you are a person who loves Kenny Loggins, who is the truth and the light, and horror movies, which is darkness. I love it. It is. <laughs> so today, we are going to talk about watching sad movies. What's like the first sad movie that really stood out to you as being sad and do sad movies make you actually cry or is it just enough to make you sad oh no they make me cry okay happy movies make me cry too (laughs) but sad movies definitely make me cry you know when I was a kid and I would go to the movies with my grandma and I mean around four and five years old she would just take me to whatever movie she wanted to see as well So I saw movies in the theater like Lorenzo's Oil or like Passion Fish or, you know, like we sat around as a family and watched The Color Purple, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. So I definitely just grew up with movies that had a lot of sadness in them and cartoons with a lot of sadness in them. I am definitely of the Don Bluth generation of, you know, All Dogs Go to Heaven, The Land Before Time, The Secrets of Nymph, like these movies that you're like, oh, this is going to be like Cinderella. Everything's going to turn out happy. And Don Bluth is always kind of like, well, kind (laughs) of. Yeah, the secret of Nim fucked me up. I oh yeah, am like to the point where I'm scared to watch it as an adult because I just remember <laughs> just bawling my eyes out as a little kid, and the mama with that necklace and trying to like yes, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. To this day, emotional damage. To this day. <laughs> so why do you watch? Why do you purposefully watch sad movies for the purpose of being sad? I guess because. I deal with anxiety and depression that is uh, trauma-related. And I think when I watch those movies, not only am I reminded that I am not the only one who lives and goes on with sadness, but also that there are a lot of different kinds of sadness. And if you're not careful... The sadness that you feel can feel like it's the only kind and nobody else's can compare to yours. Mm. And I I think I like being reminded that there are a lot of ways to be sad. There are a lot of ways that people experience sadness. It's not 
an emotion that just some of us get. Everybody has to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I like to redirect my sadness. Mm. So if I get sad about something in my romantic life, that's like present day, I will think about a sadness from a previous romantic life, right? Like from Mm. a previous romantic relationship. Because if I get sad about, you know, the guy because he ghosted or he, you know, I thought we were vibing and then he just kind of disappeared. I don't want to get sad about this guy who's still not someone very close to me, but like I thought that he could have been close. Right. Like I don't want to get sad about the potential when I'm not really sure what was there in the first place. So I want to get sad about something that I know you know, that I deserve to be sad about, basically. Like, I want to feel like I deserve this sadness, that I've earned this sadness. So I'll think about... Nicole. I Okay, listen. <laughs> you don't have to earn your sadness. It just is. I, I'm trying to unlearn it. I'm trying. But it's difficult. So I will... Yes. That's when I do the terrible thing of, like, stalking an ex's social media. Oh, yeah. Right? And then I'm like okay, I remember how you treated me. And I'm not really holding a grudge because like that's gone. Like I don't want to do anything actively to hurt that ex or anything like that. But I just look back at him so that I can like be like, you hurt me and I can feel sad about that. That is a deserved pain for me. So I guess, um, and not to make light of this, but when I talk about this to my therapist, I say it feels kind of like, a form of Mm self-harm for me, you know? Like, I don't want to be upset about this thing because it doesn't seem weighty enough to be upset about. So I have to find something else to legitimize my sadness. And that's when I go back and, you know, do that stalker thing. It's not stalking. It usually only happens once a year. And I just go (laughs) look to see, like, you know... He's still alive. He's still a dick. Yep. He hurt me. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. So that's something that I do. And I also listen to sad music. I have my sad white boys playlist. Absolutely. uh, And and I listen to that. And I do sometimes go and watch stuff that's sad. So if I am overwhelmed, and I don't know why I'm overwhelmed by some feeling, but I'm like, I have to cry. I feel like my body is telling me I need to cry, but I don't have anything to cry about. What I'll do, I'll go to YouTube and I will watch Sesame Street, the scene where Big Bird learns that Mr. Hooper has died and they're trying to like help him understand what that means, that Mr. Hooper is not coming back. It tears me. Oh even just God, na- Oh, no. no. <laughs> it tears me up and I, it, it just feels so good to release it. And it's a very sad, sad thing. Yes. Uh, so when you are trying to watch these sad movies. Yeah. Why? I mean, some of it is the same that like there are times when I get to a place of emotional overwhelm and I can't pinpoint where it's coming from and I'm tired of trying to figure it out and I just have to get it out. Great time to watch like The Little Prince or great time to go on YouTube and watch 
Jim Henson's funeral mm. when Big Bird sings, you know, it isn't easy being green. Oh, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, it's easy to do that and to like, and to just like let it go and to like get it out. And I think sometimes that my inclination to do that comes from the fact that, you know, tears in and of themselves are extremely cleansing just like mentally and emotionally. We don't think of them as really having a function other than like embarrassing us, mm -hmm. but that is not the function of tears. Like something is really happening in your body. There is a chemical reaction happening in your body that is soothing you, that is helping you soothe yourself. And it's weird how often we stop ourselves from crying or try to stop ourselves from crying. Watching sad movies helps with that. You learn so much in, in, in the exploration of human sadness because so much of our art is about sadness. Mm. But in general, as a society, we still think of sadness and, and being sad as like a, of like a failure, mm. like a moral failure. Mm -hmm. And yet, whenever we get the chance to express our truest selves, it's always tinged with sadness. Our greatest moments, our biggest excitements always have a little bit of sadness. You know, after I got engaged, one of the things that happened to me that I didn't know what the fuck was happening to me, and I found out later on that this actually happens to a lot of people who get engaged, is that for the first like three, four months that we were engaged, every time Kelly was out of my sight, I thought he was going to die. Like, I thought something was going to happen. I, I could picture all of the dangers in the world and how they could befall him every time he left the house. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I doing that? Like, what is it? And I've come to realize over time that it wasn't that, like, I, I actually had, like, a, a rational or, like, real fear that something was going to happen to him. It was this, we had made this declaration to each other to spend the rest of our lives together. And because of who I am and <laughs> how I see the world, I'm like, that automatically kicks into gear in my head. Like, yeah, but we don't really have forever. Mm. One of us will be alone at some point. Like, that's just the way life works. In the best case scenario, in the best case scenario, we make it to really old age and and one of us at some point is has to live without the other one. Mm. And the weight of that felt so real and so mighty. And I kept thinking like, something must be wrong with me. Like this must be me. But whenever I've learned that whenever I think that, like start talking to people, like start telling people the weird thing you're scared of or the weird thought you have because automatically there are going to be like 50 other people like, oh yeah, no, that I totally did that. And it's like, why isn't anybody talking about this? So yeah, it's like when I watch movies and I see people dealing with their sadness and dealing in their sadness, a movie like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that is just so purely about heartbreak, you know, and the cyclical nature of heartbreak. It, it just affirms that like, I'm not losing it. 
There's not something especially wrong with me, something especially weird about me. And actually, this affirms my belief that there's nothing wrong with these feelings. They're very natural. Mm. I also feel that way. Like if I get really, really good news and life is going really well, I start to wonder, okay, what's bad going to happen now? What's the bad thing that's going to happen? What's going to ruin my life and like balance all this out? Because, I, you know, I guess that is a... I don't know if that's something you learn growing up and going to church and Christian values mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where there's just like, you're not allowed good things. Something bad has to happen. So that's, that gets like pummeled into us, right? That we're, yes. we can't enjoy anything that the good things that we're supposed to enjoy are supposed to be on the other side. When we are no longer really conscious of them, <laughs> right? Yep. We can't come back and say, hey, actually, yeah, heaven does exist and the streets are paved with gold and everything is amazing. There's no way for us to like fact check that. But I feel that way. And I I don't have that same feeling of like, and I've been engaged and I start to worry about my partner, but I definitely had that feeling of sadness, like something's going to happen after I finish my book. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I was really depressed after I'd finished the book. And it was in that weird in-between stage of all the revisions are done. Everything is going well, but it's, it's not published yet. And I don't have to do anything else with the book and just wait for it to come out. So I was very like it triggered my depression and I felt really bad about that. Like, how could I be sad about this moment? I've accomplished a major goal in my life. What's going on? But I did like kind of snoop around on the internet and I saw that other writers were saying the same thing, that they had this period of depression after finishing the book or immediately after they had finished their book tours and stuff like that because it's just like, I've done this thing and now what? Yes. And then like your brain doesn't realize, well, you're just going to have to do it all over again. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. But you're still in this limbo stage. And so I, I feel you on that, like different things, but I feel you on that. Yes. It's useful. (sighs) I don't know, It's useful. Sadness is useful. And you talked about we have been taught that sadness is a failure, which makes me think of the toxic positivity movement that a lot of people subscribe to, where they're like, no bad vibes, you know, no bad vibes allowed. You just have to be happy. You have to fake it until you are happy. And then I feel like that is a denial of your full humanity. It is. It is. And it's a trap because it cannot work. Mm. It cannot. It's not somebody did it the right way and you didn't do it the right way. It cannot work because denying your full humanity will always be a deafening and at the very least a tempering of the rest of you, Mm. the parts that you do want to show. Because let me tell you, when I was living a life where I was trying to avoid disappointment at all costs, I never had anything to be excited about. Mm. I never got excited. <laughs> like, I still struggle. Like, I'm at a point in my life where I have, like, you know, a certain amount of success. I've gotten, you know, awards. I've gotten, I've had accomplishments, whatever. And I've had to work so hard in order to feel them because of how long I spent trying to not feel disappointment and thereby sort of like diminishing my capacity to feel excitement. Mm. It sucked really bad. Yeah. And I think, you know, despite the fact 
that sad movies, you know, you have that moment of crying and like that gush of emotion and it's wild that you can connect with characters this way and you feel all that sadness. I have always felt like my connection to sadness, my ability to play nice and compassionately in that area has allowed me to experience a level of happiness that I had not been able to experience before. Mm -hmm. Embracing this part of me and not just like knowing that I like sad movies, but like embracing it, not judging it, Mm. just letting it be what it is really helped me get to a place where I judge myself less for my happiness. I judge my happiness less. I don't, as I question myself less about whether or not I earn my, I have earned my sadness, I question myself a lot less about whether or not I've earned my happiness. Mm, that's beautiful. I'm going to try to hold on to that because that's something I, I struggle with, trying to make sure that I have earned the right to my feelings. So do you have different levels of sad movies? Like, Oh, yeah. What do you watch when you want to ball? And what do you watch when you just want to kind of like, you just need a touch of sadness? but not a full-out cry. A touch of sadness, but not a full-out cry would probably be the Joy Luck Club. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Because the Joy Luck Club at this point does not cause me to, like, ball the way it used to. But I love, like the the gentle what I feel like a gentle strumming of a sad guitar <laughs> like the whole time throughout that movie I really like that and when I want to like just be crushed at the end of a movie it's probably Edward Scissorhands mm. there's something about that movie and about his interminable kindness and loneliness that just devastates me every single time I watch it. I get devastated. Yeah. Yeah. And a great combination, you know, because I love horror. So a great combination of horror and sad for me wouldn't be a movie. It would be the um, the series The Haunting of Hill House. Oh. Which I think is a pretty perfect combination of horror and sadness. Yeah. The more recent one that was on Netflix. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was really sad. Um, and I was surprised by how sad it was. I mean, I should not have been, but I was. <laughs> um for me, I watch some sad movies, but I think I end up watching more TV shows, uh, more episodic things. So yesterday I was watching Magna P.I. and I put on one of my favorite episodes of Magna P.I. And it is uh, season four, episode one, and it's called Home Home from the Sea. And Magnum has been in this, it's called a surf ski. It's like a little canoe kind of thing where he's just there by himself and he's paddling. It's the 4th of July and Magnum P.I. does voiceovers to give you context. And so he's talking to us and telling us how it's the 4th of July. All his friends are out doing something, but he likes to be solo on the 4th of July. And as he's in the middle of the ocean, this speedboat comes by does a little spin, knocks him off the surf ski and he loses his boat and he has to tread water. He doesn't know like where he is. He's not sure if he can make it to shoreline. So he's 
abandoned in the water by himself. And as he is trying to stay alive long enough for someone to come find him, we see all these flashbacks to his childhood and his relationship to his father. And he keeps looking at his watch and we see that like his father had taught him how to tread water for like 15 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time because his father was in the military. Magnum was in the military eventually. All this kind of stuff. So we're seeing like parts of who Magnum is, right? And uh, so the watch is very important because his dad had told him when I come back, his dad was in the Korean War. And he's like, when I come back from the Korean War, we're going to see if you can make it to treading water for an hour. And if you do, I will give you a watch like mine. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all these flashbacks and then present day we see. Thomas's crew, uh, Magnum's crew, you know, they're realizing hmm, something's not right, right? They're having like this intuition because they're so connected to Magnum and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Should we, something's off. Anyway, Magnum is treading water and at the end uh, he gets rescued, of course, but he is delirious because he's been out there for like a day. He's delirious and he's thinking his dad and he's like, I made it, dad, I made it. And we learned that he finally learned how to tread water for an hour as a little boy, just as news of his father's death in the Korean War comes and it, the Aww. the episode ends with Magnum at his father's funeral when he's a little boy. He's like eight years old or something like that. Six or eight, something like that. And he does the little salutes like John F. Kennedy's son did, you know, at the thing. And we see that he's got his father's watch on his arm. It tears me up. It just breaks me down to see like this side of Magnum that we didn't, you know, Magnum was a little playboy, smart, you know, whatever. That breaks me down because it's just like, here's this guy who has, you know, been holding on to like the influence of his father for so long. Also, my own daddy issues come to play and then I'm like, oh my God, Magnum, you're so great. You know, that kind of thing. Daddy daughter stuff will do it to me every time. Armageddon, the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis. Woo! I bawled so hard in that theater. The most recent one that got me uh, was, what is the movie? It's based off of the book. Ava DuVernay did it. A Wrinkle in Time. Yes, A Wrinkle in Time. So I went and saw A Wrinkle in Time in theater. And I think that that movie just ripped me apart because of obviously the daddy-daughter thing, but also just the anger Mm. of the little girl and like her sadness. Sad little girls is probably a big thing for me. I was very also into watching and still, I guess, into watching The Secret Garden. Um, And I watch (laughs) that all the time. And Eve's Bayou. Mm -hmm. Angry, sad little girls are like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And there is this moment in that movie where she, you know, she finds her dad. Finally, she, after going through traveling through the universe, she finally finds her father who's been lost. And at first he thinks that she's a mirage that, you know, it's an attempt to trick him. But then he holds her and she's real and she just falls Mm. apart. Like she just cries so hard after like theater that like just oh my god and i i was a mess i was a mess for like the rest of the day it wasn't even just in the theater it was like after we left being like please no one talk to me i need a minute i saw it was a beverly clearly movie that was made oh. about 10 years ago i think maybe uh ramona uh, the yes, yes. 
And I went to see it with a, another friend of mine and we were both bawling at the end of the movie because again, like we did not have that kind of close father-daughter relationship. And to see that just, I, I don't know, it just really triggered a lot of stuff for us. And I have not watched it since. So it's just like, I don't, I can't. It's because it's not necessarily a sad movie, but it just, because it brought up all these different feelings, I can't watch it. Never, if you're actually feeling sad, never ask me to pick the movie because I I have a really bad track record of when people are sad, showing them the wrong movie or something about their insecurity or trying to see a new movie that turns out to be completely wrong for the moment. My friend JD, when um, him and his long-term girlfriend broke up, in college, I was like, oh man, come on, let's go to the movies. There's this new movie out. It looks cute. It's called 500 Days of Summer. Oh no. And we went and saw it and it was, I was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and then uh, my other close friend, Spencer, I've accidentally shown Spencer two movies. And the second one isn't really my fault. The first one, it was after he just broken up with his boyfriend. And I took him to see the movie Take This Waltz with uh, (laughs) Michelle Williams. It was not, it didn't go well. But then the second time, I thought this one was going to be a hit. You know, it wasn't even a breakup situation, but like he was having a hard time just like in general. And I took him to go see the first Thor movie. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that he had been having a really hard time with his dad. Mm. And there's like the end of the Thor movie where Thor and Odin have this talk, and Odin tells him, You're my son and I'm proud of you. And Spencer just lost it in the theater and I was like uh, okay I, I don't feel like this one was my fault but yeah bad track record I like that you are a sad movie guru though like you, you're kind of leading people to the movie that they need for their own bit of catharsis uh, Michelle Williams is just like Blue Valentine is a movie Look. that I watch when I want to feel sad, but also a little horny, but mostly sad because <laughs> it is harrowing. It is a harrowing is. look at a relationship. And like when you see someone who loves somebody much more than the other person, the, like the love is not reciprocated in the same way. Oh, yeah. Uh, My commitment to sadness is so strong. That the song that Kelly and I danced to at my wedding was the song from Blue Valentine, that You and Me song by Penny and the Quarters. Yes. Like, it's funny because there are a couple people in the audience who've seen the movie who are kind of like, I don't know about this song. I don't know if you wanted to choose this one, but it's like, we love this song. (laughs) You know, I don't know what to tell you. The year we got married, probably the album we listened to the most was Marvin Gaye's Here, My Dear. Oh. And we just love that album. It's a good album. It's fantastic. And it's very angry and very sad. (laughs) It's about (laughs) divorce. But we just listened to it all the time. Like, we were like, this is an amazing record. Do you think that that is also a way for you to funnel off any of those difficult moments in your marriage and just kind of like, here, we're going to listen to this and then Hmm. navigate from there? That would never work. Kelly does not pick up on stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think he is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. But trying to, like, subtly play music to get Kelly to understand something or to, like, deal with something would 
never in a million years work. We have to talk. We have to have conversations about everything. We very, very much don't tend to speak too much in code because we're both so frustrated by that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's also why I spend a lot of time like watching things and enjoying things about sadness is because it's the thing nobody wants to talk about. But it, I feel like it's so easy to see in other people. It's so easy to see their sadness and to see why they would be sad or, you know, to see that they are sad. <laughs> And nobody wants to talk about it, really, except for, it seems like, inexpressions of art. Unless he's trying to send me messages, and I don't know. <laughs> Do you remember a movie that you watched that you went in not knowing that you were going to have a sad reaction to it, and then it became a part of your sad movie collection? Ooh, yes. You know, it's not a movie, though. Okay, that's fine. Stranger Things, the show on Netflix, mm -hmm. like, devastates me. Really? There are so many moments in that show where a person, like, you're rooting for them. They they seem to have an innocence and, like, a joy about them. Mm -hmm. Just gets brutally killed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, I... I just, I expected to be scared. I expected to have fun and feel like I was on some kind of like kitty adventure. I did not expect to have my heart torn out once a season as it is revealed that somebody is like dealing not just with like the darkness that has shown up in this town, but like the darkness inside mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of TV shows keep aiming for our heartstrings, right? Like this is us. Parenthood, those are TV shows that I was like, I can't watch this on a regular basis because I'm not trying <laughs> to cry every episode. But is there a movie that you were like, okay, I see that you want me to cry and I refuse because you're just trying too hard now. Like, this is too much. Yeah, I've done that with plenty of movies. I did that with like The English Patient. Mm. I've done that with All the Little Women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Never made me cry. I'm like, nah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. You can't. <laughs> this is a cheap one. I also, I didn't used to cry. I had never cried in one of those movies where a dog dies mm -hmm. until I got my dog. Aw. Now if I see like a picture of the movie Homeward Bound and no, none of the animals even die in that one, I will, I will cry. <laughs> I will cry. I remember watching Shawshank Redemption with this guy that I was dating at the time. And he cried at the end. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I understand why. But I was just still just like, because mm. he, he also was trying not to show me that he was crying. But his he was crying. Like, he had to go get a paper towel and wipe his whole face off and stuff. You know what movie I did feel like at times was trying to make me cry? And I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I just was mad about it. Hidden figures. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There were plenty of moments where I was like, nah, fuck these races. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I ain't yeah. crying. Yeah. Like, that. <laughs> I want to throw things. Yeah. 
you talked about the color purple earlier that movie that your family watched and it's really sad and i remember crying from anger yep when uh sophia tries to come home to visit the family and she's with her employer i forget her the lady's name and the white lady freaks out because some black people were trying to help her. She misunderstood. She was racist and she misunderstood. And so then Sophia had to leave with her. And I just remember being, just crying tears of frustration and anger because I don't know that I could say that at that time that I knew that feeling of like you're trying to do something and somebody prevents you from that. But I knew that my family, that the women in my family had experienced that. And so I just cried from like not being able to help the women in my family in those situations where they were domestic workers or, you know, whatever. Right. When it's women and when it's Black people, period. I I think, like, the anger feels... Like, that's when the anger feels like the kind that could, like, consume you. Yeah. Like, could eat you up. Yeah. And I worry about that. I worry about being eaten up by my anger when I watch certain films yeah i do too and i i remember in middle school watching roots for the first time oh and the following week it was just real quiet oh yeah <laughs> it was real quiet at school oh yeah you know also movies that i where there were things i didn't realize was happening i was in seventh grade when MTV aired a like made for MTV movie about what had happened to Matthew Shepard. Mm-hmm. And I remember that they had the screen go black for 30 minutes after they aired it. So 30 minutes of airtime, they just like go black. And I remember sitting there for the entire 30 minutes bawling, Mm -hmm. like just crying so hard that my body was shaking because I was so sad about what had happened to him. And I was so angry about the fact that we lived in a world where that could happen to somebody Mm -hmm. for no other reason than they're not like you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back to Sesame Street because I remember when I was – Little, my mom took me to like a live Sesame Street show, and it was Big Bird's birthday, and everybody had forgotten his birthday. Uh-huh. And I started crying, and my mom got mad at me for crying. And I was, she was like, "Why are you crying?" And I said, "They don't love him. They forgot his birthday." But really, it was a surprise. They were pretending to forget his birthday, and then they surprised him. And then I started crying because I was so happy that you know Aww. he was. I have always been a sensitive child. I don't. <laughs> Sesame Street has really ruined me. And that's like, that is also something, like I said, I go back to Sesame Street because it feels like it just, you know, makes me think of this moment in time where I could feel all the feelings that I needed to feel without judgment or, you know, trying to censor myself, you know, because you're a kid and all your feelings are on the surface and everything. So, yes. Okay. So you watch sad movies because you want to recognize the different levels of sadness that exist. You also want to make sure that you honor your humanity in sadness. And sometimes you just need to let go of that. You're feeling overwhelmed and you're not really sure of the source. So a good cleansing cry will help you. Yes, it's clarifying, just like fire. Yes, Yes. And what would you say to someone who 
it's like, what should I do when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I want to watch a sad movie, but I'm not sure what to watch? I would say that this is a really great time to practice asking yourself exactly what you want because you don't have a lot of patience to lie to yourself when you're sad or overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, You might be distracted by the feeling, but you could work through that. What do you want? What do you want to watch? How do you want to feel? When's the last time you remember feeling that way? Let's go find that. Let's go retrieve that. The internet is everywhere. We can we can find you something. If you decide at 3 a.m. you really need to see the movie It Takes Two with the Olsen twins, we can get you that somewhere, you know? So give yourself what you want as much as you would anybody else you love, as much as you think anybody else deserves to be taken care of when they are sad or when they are overwhelmed, you can do that for yourself. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it, the less brain power it'll take. Eventually, you'll be like, I'm getting overwhelmed. I know exactly what I want to watch, what I want to eat, and what I want to do for the next day. I love it. You talked about the things that really trip you up are fraught parental relationships and seeing children mistreated, which are some things that you talk about in your memoir. The paperback version just came out not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And that memoir is called Somebody's Daughter. Are we going to maybe one day be using a film adaptation <laughs> of Somebody's Daughter as our go-to cry movie? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I could write anything that wasn't tinged with sadness because it would feel less human than I am. But I also think that a true story has good balance of sadness with the emotions that exist in and around it. So might there be some screen time with some sad stuff going on? Sure. But there's going to be a lot of other stuff, too. And it'll give as much as it takes. Thank you. That was beautiful. You're so beautiful. Thank you. You're so beautiful. (laughs) Is there anything else you would like to say about watching sad movies? Do what's best for you when it comes to sad movies. Don't let anybody else tell you what the best ones are or the worst ones are because they don't know you. And they don't know the context of your emotional window. You do. So you get in there and you decide what's going on for you and enjoy yourself because sad movies are still entertainment. You are meant to be entertained, not just reflect or go through something emotional. Let yourself be entertained. You deserve that. You've earned it just by being alive. And that is part of our mission here at This Is Good For You is you have earned pleasure and joy just because you are here and you don't have to explain it to anyone. You don't have to feel bad about it. You can just enjoy it for yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Are you ready? It's time for today's indulgence, something I recommend that you can enjoy without worrying about any judgment. There is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Okay, so not too long ago, my friend Lenore was on the show talking about watercoloring in books, right? 
and I really enjoyed our talk and had been thinking about getting a paint kit. But I was just like really scared and like I didn't know what I was doing and I just didn't do it. But I kept thinking about it. And then a company called Artvana sent me a paint kit. Um, this is not sponsored, but Arvana, if you want an actual real ad for the show, please reach out to me again and let's let's talk. Artvana is a subscription-based service that hopes to encourage you to get you in touch with your inner artist. You get a monthly kit with supplies and a private link to a YouTube tutorial, and then you follow along and you create your own little masterpiece. Mine was a picture of like these four pomegranates and they look terrible, but I had such a good time painting them. This kind of art has always intimidated me. You know, I've told you before, I can't draw a straight line. I can't do eyeliner in a, in, you know, in a neat way. So I'm just like, I still draw a house with just like, it's like a rectangle and then a triangle on top. And that's how I draw a house. And that's how like low my skills are when it comes to art. But doing this little tutorial, trying to draw these pomegranates, I learned so much about shading and highlighting and the very basic skills of like mixing colors in order to, you know, get the proper color that you want. So now I feel like my shit belongs in the Louvre. I bought an acrylic paint kit and a bunch of cheap canvases off Amazon, and I have been making terrible, terrible awful art but it is so soothing to me it helps me put my phone down I don't feel like I need to be endlessly scrolling anything it even gives me a break from iPad reading which I've been doing a lot of recently and I think it's kind of affecting my sleep a little bit but I put my phone down I put my iPad down and I just set up my little kit and I paint it's fantastic. It also helps me work out the kinks in my creative writing because I am no longer like, oh, no, there's a blinking cursor staring at me, teasing me, humiliating me. I can't think about how to work out this particular problem with between these two characters. So I just kind of like go put my paint kit together and I start blending the purples and the reds and the like trying to figure out the right kind of pink that I want. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that's what I'll have him say ah, that's what I'll have her do. You know, that kind of thing is like I relaxed one portion of my creative brain and let the other side kind of rest. And then I there's like this fertile moment. So it really helps me. And it's just so soothing and satisfying. And then I'll hear like, okay, let me add a little titanium white here. And then I'm going to put a little burnt umber here. And then let's see what that does. And then just feel like I am fucking Bob Rossina in this bitch. It's just amazing. I love it so much. So I'm recommending a paint kit. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant at all. Like I said, I got my kit off Amazon, but I'm sure you can find something in your local craft store or Target or Walmart or whatever. And then you can go look up beginner tutorials on YouTube, which are so neat because they just show like, oh, here are these people. They're putting all these different dots on the canvas, all these beautiful, colorful dots on the canvas. And then they just like swoop their brushes through the paint and create like these incredible little sunsets and forests and flowers. I'm like, what? But I follow along and I've been, I'm, you know, I'm not really creating any forests, but I'm making really pretty colors. I'll just say that. Do that. You can find some YouTube tutorials or you can just freestyle by yourself and just do what feels good. It really doesn't matter. The point is to let your creativity flow and no one else has to see it but you. 
It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. And what is good? What is bad? It's all subjective anyway, right? My art is terrible. It's whack, but it feels really good. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Misha Stanton. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, Elizabeth, and Mira. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you? <laughs>